Okratov, good morning. Welcome everybody to the Aliyah Day. I hope that you are doing well. I am doing well. It is a uh, stormy uh, time here in Fort Worth as we are uh, dealing with some uh, showers, some thunderstorms pretty much all day. So perfectly our broadcast will be okay. Historically, if we have rain or wind, it tends to kind of mess with our our signal. So prayerfully, the signal will uh, be okay. If not, we are also, I am, recording this on the uh, podcast. So if for some reason it messes up, Bezrat Hashem will be able to, to not lose any of the uh, the actual uh, insights or teaching. So welcome again <clears throat> to the Aliyah Day. For those of you who are new, I'm Rabbi Mordecai Griffin. This is Sar Shalom Synagogue. We're coming to you live from Sar Shalom Synagogue located in Saginaw, Texas, which is just north of downtown Fort Worth. I am the founder of Lapid Judaism, and uh, we are glad you are here. So be sure and like the video and share this video with all your friends and family and make sure to help us to get the word out. People are, are, are watching, families are watching from all across the Fruited Plain this morning. And we have rain in Texas, and Joy says that there's uh, snow in New Hampshire. So there you go. We have all, uh, everything in between. It's probably sunny somewhere in California. <laughs> so, and who knows what it's like in Poland and Germany. Our, our, our faithful family's watching from Poland and Germany. I'm sure it's cold there and probably, probably snowy as well. So we're in the fifth Aliyah, the fifth reading of the Torah portion of Shabbat. And so... We're getting, uh, we're just, we're in, in the point at which uh, Hashem is uh, calling Moshe to his mission to be the Redeemer, to be the one to go and to speak to Pharaoh and to say, let my people go. That's what Moshe is supposed to do. So if you have the art scroll Humash, we're going to begin reading on page 507. Page 507, we're going to read the Aliyah. And then we're going to uh, bring down some insights with God's help as we explore Hashem's word this morning. As I said, the Art School Chumash, page 507, we are going to begin reading in chapter... Um, I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong page number again. I'm so sorry. I gave you the wrong page number. It's not 507. Good grief. I... Uh, studying something else and find myself reading the wrong, the wrong page number this morning. I am so sorry. Let me turn back over here to the right page. Get on. Let me get on the right page. There we go. The right page is 305. So sorry. Page 305, chapter 3, and verse, uh, let's see, we're going to be in verse 17, 16, verse 16. And uh, begin reading. It says, Go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, Adonai, the God of your forefathers has appeared to me, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I have surely remembered you and what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I shall bring you up from the affliction of the Egyptians to the land of Canaan, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jezusite, and the land flowing with milk and honey. So right off the bat, I just want to pause here and share a, 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 a pattern, an insight pattern here. Because... It says, God said to Moses that you're supposed to go up and gather uh, the, the, the elders. They're supposed to come to you. 
So it says, and Rabbi Monk brings down, that this is not, of course, every single elder, uh, because that would be too many people to gather out of uh, 600,000 Jews. But this is essentially the elders who were considered the, the chief elders who would become part of the, well, the Sanhedrin. But it says that, that the elders uh, were to fail in this. Uh, they were originally, it was supposed to be Moses uh, and Aaron and the elders who were supposed to uh, go to speak to Pharaoh. But the elders chickened out. It says here, <clears throat> the Midrash explains that the elders were frightened and slipped away one by one while Moshe and Aaron were making their way to the palace. So that by the time that Moses and Aaron finally arrived at the palace, there was no one remaining with them. And it goes on to explain that this is one of the reasons why at Mount Sinai, God said that Moses alone was supposed to come up and get the Torah, and that the elders would not come up. Why? Because they were not willing to go up to see Pharaoh with Moses. Now, the reason I wanted to bring this up, because it's an interesting pattern, because we see Moshe is the, the, the Mashiach, the type of Mashiach, as it were. So we see Moses going up to Pharaoh, and when he stands before Pharaoh, he ends up standing before Pharaoh all alone. There's nobody with him. And so we see that with Mashiach Yeshua, that Mashiach Yeshua, by the time that Mashiach Yeshua stood before the, the pagan uh, king, as it were, the pagan judge, Pontius Pilate, he was all alone. Everybody had abandoned him to include uh, Kepha. So we see a, a similar pattern that, that, the Mo, that the Messiah, in this case represented by Moses, ends up confronting uh, the, the king of darkness, if you will, the king, the person to whom represents uh, the klipa. He does that on his own because those who were supposed to be by his side were too scared. It's exactly what happened with the apostles. So it says, um, it says in verse 18, they will heed your voice. You and the elders of Israel shall come up to the king of Egypt and say to him, <clears throat> Adonai, the God of the Hebrews, happened upon us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness. It's interesting how there's a three day journey involved here to go and receive the Torah of Hashem. Three days before we receive the Torah, there's an obvious connectivity here to the fact that uh, Mashiach was in the grave three days. So it says, And we shall bring offerings to Adonai our God. I know that the king of Egypt will not allow you to go except through a strong hand. I shall stretch out my hand and I shall strike Egypt with all my wonders and I shall perform it in its midst. And after that, he will send you out. I shall grant this people favor and the eyes of Egypt so that it will happen that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. Each woman shall request from her neighbor and from one who lives in her house silver vessels, gold vessels, and garments. And you shall put them on your sons and daughters, and you shall empty out Egypt. 
It says, so we now we begin chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And it says, Moshe responded and said, But they will not believe me, and they will not heed my voice. For they will say, Adonai did not appear to you. And Adonai said to him, What is it that's in your hand? And he said, A staff. It's interesting, because Moshe, we told the story about the staff and how the staff uh, was supernatural. I think I mentioned the staff, they say, was made out of sapphire and had the divine name on it, and yet he refers to it just as a staff. So he said, cast it on the ground. He cast it on the ground, it became a snake, and Moshe fled from it. I don't know, I said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp its tail. He stretched out his hand and grasped it tightly. It became a staff in his palm. So that they shall believe that Adonai, the God of their forefathers, appeared to you, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Adonai said further to him, Bring your hand to your bosom. He brought his hand to his bosom. He withdrew it, and behold, his hand was leprous like snow. He said, Return your hand to the bosom. And he returned his hand to the bosom, and it removed it in its bosom, and behold, it reverted to be like flesh. It shall be that if they do not believe you, and you do not heed your voice to the first sign, they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall be that if they do not believe even these two signs, you do not heed your voice, then you shall take from the water of the river and pour it out on the dry land. And the water that you shall take from the river shall become blood when it's poured on the dry land. Of course, this is talking about the river Nile. This is the uh, really the first plague that was brought forth when, when Hashem turned the entire Nile into a river of blood, but not just the Nile, it's actually all the water in Egypt uh, was turned into a, a river of, uh, or, or blood rather, the wells, the if, they, if you had water in a pot, you know, if you had a bottle of Avion in the fridge, it turned to blood too. Moshe replied to Adonai, please my Lord, I am, I am uh, not a man of words, not since yesterday, nor since the day before yesterday. Nor since you first spoke to your servant, for I am heavy of mouth and heavy of speech. Then Adonai said to him, Who makes a mouth for man, and who makes one dumb or deaf or sighted or blind? It is not I, Adonai. So now go, I shall be your mouth and teach you what you should say. He replied, Please, my Lord, sin through whomever you will send. At this point, it says in the scripture, the wrath of Adonai burned against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he will surely speak. Moreover, behold, he is going out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will rejoice in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I shall be with your mouth and with his mouth and teach you both what you are to say. He shall speak for you to the people. And it will be that when he will be your mouth, and you will be his leader, and this staff you shall take in your hand, which you, with which you shall perform the signs. That's the end of our reading. I want to share a couple of insights right off the bat. Um, from let's going back to this to where we left off yesterday about Moshe marrying Zipporah, who was a convert, and what the insights say about why that was necessary and the pattern it shows to us. So the, the Messiah has to be married, if you look at this view, 
The whole goal of Judaism ultimately is to reach the whole wide world. Everybody's going to become Jewish. That's, that's going to be a shock to everybody. To uh, secular people, to Jewish people, to Messianic people, to Hebrew roots people, to Christian people, to Hindu people, to whatever people. The whole wide world ultimately is going to be Jewish. Now you have people saying you don't have to be Jewish. The Jewish are going to be uh, unique. That's not really at all what the sages say. It's not at all what the Bible teaches. The Bible says is one day, maybe sooner or time, everybody will be Jewish, right? So better to come in early and beat the rush. So it says here that, in fact, he has to marry Zipporah. Why? Because the whole goal of Judaism is to reach the whole wide world. And therefore, we find this interesting dynamic where the Messiah is marrying Zipporah, who is a convert, and it says here, this enabled non-Jews to share the true faith. There's something supernatural about that coupling, and I want you to think about it for a moment, that here you have the Mashiach, who is marrying the daughter of an idolatrous priest. So that seems counterintuitive because uh, in, in a lot of Jewish thinking that you should marry someone of a righteous stock, that a, a, a Zadik should marry somebody, a woman who is from a similar righteous family, that her father, her grandfather are also Zadikim. And yet, we find the Mashiach not doing that. He's marrying a woman who is the daughter of an idolatrous priest. So it's very significant. But the other part of that um, uh, insight that I didn't get a chance to read to, we just ran out of time yesterday. I want to read the rest of it. It says, from this appearance, from, this, from his first appearance rather, Moshe is seen as the prophet called upon to lead the children of Israel to the faith in one in one God and to make Israel shine forth as the light to this faith among the nations. It says the fact that two-thirds of Moshe's life is set in a non-Jewish environment is significant in this regard. I want you to pay attention to what's being said here. That... So, uh, somebody wrote in another comment that Moshe's life is like a trilogy. There's going to be three movies. Moshe, uh, you know, A New Hope, that's number one. Uh, you know, The Empire Strikes Back, he gets sent into the wilderness by uh, Pharaoh. Uh, that's episode two. Uh, the Return of the uh, Mashiach, uh, a.k.a. Jedi, that's number three. That's when Moshe comes back. This life is a, is a uh, trilogy. But it's interesting here, it says that two-thirds of his life is spent in a non-Jewish environment, in a pagan environment. That's interesting because we've been talking, I've said many times over the last several aliyot, uh, I've talked about the fact that from a, from a rabbinic, sage, Jewish point of view, the Mashiach is presently at the gates of Rome, that his, his, his time is spent right now with the Goyim. In fact, 
when the Mashiach appears on the scene, maybe soon in our time, he will come from the Goyim, seemingly from the Goyim. Not, not that he's a Goy, God forbid, but he's coming from that region. You know, you, you hear, uh, you read stuff online where certain rabbis today are say the, 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 the foots of the Mashiach are near and that Mashiach is presently in Jerusalem. The only problem with that is that that's not where he's coming from. He's not coming from Jerusalem. He's actually coming from Rome. Just like the, the Mashiach in our story here, which is uh, Moshe, he was coming from Midian. So anyway, so it says the fact that two-thirds of his, of his life is set in a non-Jewish environment is significant in this regard. The links which were to be established with the other nations are emphasized even more by certain details, such as the story of Jethro's conversion, which immediately precedes the revelation of Sinai and is publicly read in the Sidra, which bears Yitro's name. So we're going to come to that when we talk about uh, Parsha Yitro. Um, we're going to discuss this fact that um, is, is borne out in the commentaries that the very name of the Parsha that gives us the Torah is named after a convert. Now that's extraordinary because again, the parasha from which we get the Ten Commandments and we have God giving his people uh, the Torah, that parasha is actually named after a convert. And in fact, uh, there's even a, a discussion there about how Yitro's conversion was a necessary prerequisite to the nation being able to receive the Torah. So it says here, similarly on the festival of Shavuot, although with the passage of, about the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai, we read the Megillah of Ruth devoted to the non-Jewish ancestor of King David. That's another interesting uh, insight with respect to how important converts are to the economy of God's faith. That when we have the celebration of, uh, of the giving of the Torah at Shavuot, if you're from Brooklyn, Shavuos, that we actually, during that celebration, we actually read the story of Ruth which is the quintessential story of, of uh, the convert. In fact, many of the rules, so to speak, many of the, uh, yeah, the rules about conversion come from two places primarily. Number one, from the events of Mount Sinai previous to us receiving the Torah. And number two, from the book of Ruth. Now, many mess messianics, <clears throat> um, don't understand that Ruth was a convert. In fact, a lot of the uh, the a lot of the time you'll you'll hear people try to bolster the one new man uh, theology 
which means Messianic Gentile and Jew, one and Messiah, and they'll use Ruth as an example. The only problem is, is that Ruth was not a, a Gentile, not when she married Boaz. How do we know that? How do we know that? Rabbi, how do you know that? That's crazy. Because it is a, it is a Torah law that a man, a Jewish man, is not allowed to marry a non-Jewish woman. It's forbidden by Torah law. And as a result, if they should have children, they're not reckoned, number one, as legitimate. Okay? And number two, they're not Jewish. Because Jewishness comes from the mother. Why? Because you're not allowed to marry a non-Jewish woman. The tribal affiliation comes from the father, but the Jewish neshama comes from the mother. So that's how we know that Ruth was not a, uh, not a, uh, a, a, a Goya. And by the way, um, I've mentioned this before, but since we're talking about it, people say, I don't believe in the oral Torah. I don't believe what those rabbis have to say. It's just a bunch of nonsense. I want to just make it all up on my own because I learned about Torah five minutes ago and now I know everything. It's like, uh, it's like the teenage theology. But the Torah says you're not allowed to have a Moabite to be, um, to be in the congregation which means you're not allowed to marry a Moabite, which means a Moabite can never be fully Jewish. However, the oral Torah tells us that this applies only to the male Moabites and not to the female Moabites. So that's how we know that Ruth can become a part of the community, become a Jew, and become the mother of Mashiach, ultimately. If you don't have the oral Torah, then it prevents you from believing in Yeshua. In fact, it would prevent you from believing in King David himself. So that creates a problem. Vincent asks, what about all the wives spoils of war? They all became converts. Or they were set free. You cannot marry somebody unless they're Jewish. Period. It's against the Torah law to do that. So it says here, which is why we get this from Nehemiah chapter 10, I believe it is, where the people are told to put away your non-Jewish wives and their children. Why? Because their children are not Jewish. Now, the, the women could convert. That would have been a different story. Uh, but it was a big sin to have a wife that was not Jewish. So it says here, similarly on the festival of Shavuot, along the, the passage about the giving of Torah, we read the, the Megillah of Ruth. Isn't that remarkable? I just want to emphasize that again. That when we're talking about Torah, the, the actual parasha of the Torah is named after a convert. And when we are celebrating the, the giving of the Torah, we're reading about a convert. What do you, I'm just going to throw this out there as a wild assumption. And that is that God wants us to focus on the converts with respect to our mission, a.k.a. being Torah true. It's a wild assumption based on what I just said, but I think it fits. So it says, <clears throat> so it says, this Megillah of Ruth is devoted to the non-Jewish ancestor of King David, Ruth the Moabite, another great convert. These instances confirm the idea that it is part 
of the function of the chosen people personified in Moses to eventually bring the other nations. Notice the, the phraseology here. To eventually bring the other nations under the wings of the Shekinah. What does that phrase under the wings of the Shekinah mean? It is used repeatedly in Jewish literature to speak of those who are being brought in as converts. To bring someone under the wings of the Shekinah is to bring them into a state of conversion. And notice it says that this concept is personified by the Mashiach. How is it personified? It's personified by the Mashiach, talking about Moses here, taking himself a convert as a bride. He's personifying God's desire to bring the nations in the covenant. Now, Mashiach Yeshua does the same thing. He takes not he takes the nations, right, as a bride. Now many people say yes, that's right, he does. In fact, the Mashiach takes uh, he somebody might be saying he's taken me as a bride. And I'm a uh, messianic gentile. Okay, so as I talked in the conversion class last night, a lot of times the theologies that we have, we don't realize that by enthusiastically embracing them and promoting them, we are unwittingly <laughs> denying Yeshua as the true Messiah, chas Shalom. What am I talking about like that? What am I talking about? I just got through saying that it is a Torah law forbidding a man, a Jewish man, to marry a non-Jewish woman. It is against the Torah. It is a written Torah law. I'm not allowed to do that. You do that. It's a big sin. Ezra and Nehemiah chastised the people about it. Ezra and Nehemiah brought down that that's one of the main reasons we were sent into exile. And yet today, we say that Yeshua marries non-Jews. You see? This is why you watch the Aliyah Day. This is why it's so important. No one's ever told you that. I mean, listen, I've been doing this for 22 years. I guarantee you no one, you never heard that before. It's not because I'm super special. It's just, I don't know. I don't know why. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Now you know. And knowing's half the battle to quote G.I. Joe. All right. Let me share this other insight. There's, let me see. I'll jump over here. I want to share this because I don't want to run out of time before I get to this one. Um, I'll come back to that one. Here's, here's this one. Okay. <clears throat> so Hashem tells Moshe, except through a strong hand. And I'm going, to, I'm going to do all of this. I'm going to bring about... This redemption vis-a-vis -vis my strong hand. Okay? So it's interesting because I just want to point out something. Because I've, I've said many times, the paradigm of conversion that we have is um, often negative. And that's because we don't realize that the terms that we often use for someone being saved, quote-unquote is terms such as born again, new creation, uh, a brand new babe, 
or a, a new babe or whatever or um, what ha what have you. Um, uh, son of Abraham. Those are all terms of conversion. And so these, where do these terms come from? Well, ultimately it comes from the Exodus, which is one of the reasons why Yeshua said, when you do this, what's the this he's talking about? He's talking about the Seder. When you do this, do this in remembrance of me. What are we doing the Seder in remembrance of? It's our liberty, our liberation from oppression. And he's saying, listen, when you do this, I want you to do it now as a remembrance of me. Why? Because all of this that we're doing is what it means to be born again. So here's the insight. It says, the expression emphasizes the extraordinary way in which the Jews were liberated. The Exodus was not an ordinary event explained in terms of simple historic processes. It necessitated a provincial intervention and the use of the supernatural. Accordingly, Rabbi Monk writes, the people liberated from Egypt by a direct, direct act of God would be described as a new creation brought into the world to be dedicated to the service of Hashem. Everything we're talking about here with respect to the Exodus uh, and last night uh, during the conversion class, I shared the sequence of events and how they're to be properly followed and properly understood in order to understand what it means to be saved or born again. All of this is about making us a new creation. End of our Aliyah today. Thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to being with you again tomorrow with God's help for the sixth and seventh reading, the conclusion of our Parashah Shemot. Until then, may you have a blessed, wonderful, magnificent day. If you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please stay dry and safe. If you're elsewhere, stay the same. And we'll see everybody tomorrow with God's help. Shalom and blessings.